I want to welcome you all to Stonehill Church. Uh, I guess I want to welcome myself as well, since I haven't been here since July 14th, which just seems like a long time to me, between a couple uh, church weddings that were off-site and then a couple weeks of vacation and then a ministry, a personal ministry and vision trip to India, July 14th. I feel like I'm kind of new to this church and maybe I should go out to the welcome table. So let me introduce myself, okay? I'm Matthew Rastusha. I'm the senior pastor of Stonehill Church. Um, and for those of you who have been here, who have, uh, under whom uh, I, I, I've led, um, welcome. Come see me afterwards. Let's get to know one another. For those of you who are new, come see me after the service. Let's get to know one another. Sometimes I say when I, when I um, introduce myself, and it's true, my last name, Restuccia, is an Italian name, and it means something. When you uh, would say in the past, it's an archaic word, when you would say that he Restuccias, it means, it meant that you this, this person was very, very boring. So that's true. So you have a long sermon ahead of you here. All right. Hey, I, I love this church. I love its mission. I love its people. The mission, you've got a short form on the front of the program there. Advancing God's mission of making dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. And it continues in Princeton, the Northeast, and the whole world. I love that mission. A couple years ago, we took that mission and we spelled it out. We wanted to help you take that mission and understand what it would mean, what it does mean personally. And so we, at that time, we gave you four little phrases, what we call four words of our mission. Let me review them for you. Let me present them to those of you who aren't familiar with them. First of all, find a pew. In other words, worship with us regularly on Sunday mornings. The gathered people of God in worship, this is where life, where direction, where purpose, this is where it, this is where it starts, right here. Thank you for being here today. Secondly, join a circle. In other words, become part of a, a smaller group of Christians, a Bible study, one of the church's small groups, something like that, where, where, you, where you're in fellowship on a regular basis with other Christians. Join a circle. Thirdly, serve on a team. In other words, work alongside others here in the church to make a real difference, a real difference in lives, in the world around us. Serve on a team. And then finally, impact your world. Take the good news of Christ, his death and his resurrection. Take that good news out into your family, into your workplace, into your neighborhood, into your classrooms. Impact your world. Now, today... Uh, I'm going to focus in this sermon uh, on the second of those four words, uh, join a circle. I'm going to be focusing on the importance of small group fellowship in the life of the Christian. And in particular, I'm going to be earnestly pressing you, earnestly pressing you, if you are not already part 
of that kind of small group to commit to joining a small group here at the church. And I'm going to do that not because I want to see the programs here at Stonehill Church well populated. You do not exist for this church. This church is here for you to uh, enable and empower you to live the life of Jesus Christ. He's called you to live. And our small group program exists in order to do exactly that, in order to address a real human need, a gospel need, the need for deep, loyal, enduring, regular friendships, and in particular for the Christian gospel friendships. So why don't you take a Bible and let's turn to the very small letter in the New Testament called Philemon. Turn to Philemon. If you're using the church Bible, that's going to be on page 1000. Philemon is right before the book of Hebrews. It's a short, short letter. I've heard it referred to as a New Testament postcard rather than a letter because it's so short, you know. Um, while you're turning there, let, let me mention that, you know, our small group pro, uh, program here at the church dates back over 30 years to 1987. It started in the fall of 1987. And it started in the aftermath of a young woman who was acutely lonely, and we didn't know the extent of her loneliness, when a young woman took her own life. And we decided as a church that we needed to be intentional and deliberate and committed to promoting gospel friendships. Gospel friendship, enduring, uh, candid, honest, Christian friendship. Gospel friendship is like oxygen. You need it. You can't survive without it. And the text that I'm going to read here in Philemon, verses 4 through 7, in the text we have a beautiful example of the kind of fellowship, the kind of friendship, gospel friendship, that I'm talking about. Now, um, let me just make a couple comments before I read verses 4 through 7. This is, you know, obviously a very short letter, but it's a a hugely significant letter because Paul is in this letter, right after this text that I read, in verse 8, he's going to begin to make a request of his friend Philemon, the recipient of the letter. He's going to ask Philemon, who was apparently fairly wealthy, he's going to ask him to receive back into his house a slave who had run away. And in the culture of the times in the Roman Empire, that's the, 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 the owner wouldn't do that. There were legal repercussions for running away. And among, I mean, the owner could put the runaway slave to death. Paul had met this runaway slave and had actually led the runaway slave to faith in Jesus. And so now he's sending the runaway slave named Onesimus back to Colossae, the town where where Philemon lived, back to Colossae, and in particular, back to Philemon, for Philemon to receive him. And he's going to ask Philemon 
to break through all the social and cultural structures of the time and to live out the gospel. He hasn't done that yet. He's still uh, reacquainting himself with Philemon writing from afar, and verses 4 through 7 is the conclusion of his little introduction. One more comment before I read the text. If you look at verse 6, verse 6 is one of the most difficult texts in the New Testament to translate into English or into any language. The words that are used there, they're like a half a dozen distinct choices that you have to make in order to translate the verse. Different words and their meanings, the structure what phrase goes with what phrase, the connections between the nouns. And some of these choices don't have just two options. They have three or four or five options. So, I mean, so in terms of kind of the mathematical complexity of translating this verse, it's really high. You're looking at the ESV if you're using the church Bible. And I love the ESV. 99% of the time, I think the ESV gets it spot on. But this is one of the 1%. I think the ESV here has mangled the verse. And I much prefer the New American Standard or the NIV or the NLT or the King James to the ESV. So what we're going to do when we read this, I'm going to read verses 4 and 5 as they appear on the, on the, on the page. And up here now on the screen, you're going to see verse, fit, verse 6 excuse me, in the NIV translation. So I'm going to move up to this translation for verse 6 because it captures the sense. And then we'll return back down to the page for verse 7. You follow as I read Philemon 4 through 7. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. And I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. This is the word of God. Now let me expose a myth. Here's the myth. That friendship just happens. This is not true. Not if you're using friendship in the way that I'm going to be using it this morning. As a deep and close loyal relationship one that endures over time, one that's marked by support and understanding and candor and sacrifice and loyalty. That kind of fr friendship, especially translated into the church and what I'm going to call gospel friendship, that kind of gospel friendship does not just happen. Now, acquaintanceship happens, and it's not a bad thing. Acquaintanceship is a good thing. You know, I was over in India for a couple, couple weeks, and on my flight back from India, the second leg of the flight was from Dubai to Newark. 
And it was 14 hours in the plane, 14 hours. And the guy seated next to me, his name, we'll call him Adam. And Adam, every three hours, he drank another Red Bull. He had this pack of Red Bulls and he just kept drinking. He was wired. Uh, and I, I, I became very well acquainted with Adam in the course of the flight. But that doesn't mean that Adam is my friend. He's an acquaintance. And that's a good thing. Connectionship happens. You find out that someone likes something that you do. A musical artist or a genre or uh, an activity, a hobby. You know, you find someone who, who likes collectibles, who collects stamps, and you like stamps, or collects baseball cards, and you like baseball cards, or collects thimbles, and you like collecting thimbles. You know, where you find this out, and you've got a connection, and you talk about it, and that's a good thing. And it may be the trigger, the open door to a friendship, but it's not friendship. Facebook friendship happens. And that's okay. Having friends on Facebook is not a bad thing. But do I need to argue this? Friendship, the way we're talking, talking about it today, is not Facebook Friendship. You may have a thousand and one fr Facebook friends, but you may not have a real friend. Here's Proverbs 18.24, a good warning to all of us. A person of many companions, we might translate that in light of which is a person of many acquaintances, a person of many connections, a person with many Facebook friends, person may come to ruin, but, but there is a friend, a true friend who is closer than a brother. Here's my definition of gospel friendship. Gospel friendship is an affectionate bond that is forged between two Christians as they live the life of faith over time with openness and with trust. And in verse 7 of Philemon, we have a beautiful display of gospel friendship. On Paul's part, he's deeply affectionate toward Philemon. He's already said some wonderful things about Philemon. Verse 7, he says, I've derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother. What endearing words. This, this man meant so much to Paul. The second half of the verse, we have Philemon displaying a gospel friendship. Philemon displays in particular the life-giving power of gospel friendship. The life-giving, uh, energizing power of gospel friendship. Paul writes this, this way, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And Paul is presenting to us here a man, Philemon, who was a gospel friend to people, who provided to people what I'm calling this morning gospel oxygen. 
the, the, the fuel in friendship to, to take our faith and go deeper with it and deeper with it and deeper with it. We weren't made to do that on our own. We were made to live in community. And gospel friendship is a fuel, is the oxygen that helps us grow in our faith. Now, in verse 7, we are being presented with a very simple little story. I'm going to focus on only the final statement of verse 7. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. That's what I'm going to focus on. Those ten words. Because they present the life-giving power of gospel friendship, the gospel oxygen that I'm talking about. And I want to get at the story embedded in those ten words. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed. And the way I'm going to do that is I'm going to work with the three most vivid words in that ten-word statement. So three vivid words that are going to help tell the story embedded about gospel friendship in that statement. So here's the first word. Word number one is the word saints. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And I'm going to put it this way. A group of ordinary Christians regularly met in Philemon's house. Let me me, uh, get you to the point of seeing that statement for what it is. Some of you who are newer to the Bible will look at the text and you'll see that word saint and you'll be confused. Because we use the word saint today to mean someone who's like super spiritual, like on a whole different plane. You're like Mother Teresa, Saint Teresa, or Saint Patrick, or Saint Francis of Assisi. But that's not the meaning of the word in the New Testament, a super spiritual person. The word itself, saint, in the Greek, the original word, it just means being someone who's set apart, something that's set apart, that's distinct. It's different. And in the New Testament, it's used to speak about people who are set apart because they did something very extraordinary. Ordinary people who did something extraordinary, they trusted Jesus Christ. They had faith in Jesus Christ. And that's what sets them apart. They're no longer part of of the culture and the world. They're they're part of God's people. They're saints. They're set apart because of their faith in Jesus. And so this group of saints here in verse 7 was just ordinary people with faith in Jesus. And they met regularly in Philemon's house. And I say that because of verses 1 and 2. Look up at the top. Paul writes, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. There it is. The your there is singular, so it would refer to Philemon alone. Maybe Aphia in Archippus, who were part of this church that met in Philemon's house. Maybe they're identified because they were related to Philemon. Maybe Aphia, that's a woman's name, maybe she was Philemon's wife. Maybe Archippus was Philemon and Aphia's son. We just don't know. All we know is that there was a church meeting in Philemon's house, and Archippus and Aphia were among them. 
Now, these ordinary Christians, Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, the others, they didn't have to meet. There was no law that required them to do so. In fact, given the fragile political status of the Christian movement at this time, there was every reason for them not to meet, not to be identified with each other. But they wanted to meet. They chose to meet. They prioritized meeting. And it's because they discovered, as Paul's suggesting here at the second half of verse 7, they discovered the, how, the, the gospel oxygen, how life-giving it was to breathe that gospel oxygen, to have a place where gospel friendship can develop and thrive, where they can be heard and understood and known, where they can know and hear and understand, where all that happened... That's, if not the, that's one of the main reasons for the small group ministry here at Stonehill. We peel off little portions of this, this congregation. And those little portions of 8, 10, 12, 15 people. They meet regularly in a house or an apartment or classroom or at Starbucks. And they meet in order to live the life of faith together with openness and trust. In other words, they meet in order to breathe gospel oxygen. There's no law, there's no rule here that says, thou shalt join a small group. And some of you may breathe a sigh of relief with that. I'm glad I don't have to do that because I just don't have time. But if that's your response, I, I just don't have time. Let me, before you close the door, let me talk to you a little bit. Everyone here should be aware that one of the biggest issues in our culture today is the shrinkage of friendship. The previous Surgeon General declared that loneliness in the U.S. is a health epidemic. You can read more about that in the column in the middle of the bulletin my pastor to people this week. There are real obstacles to friendship today, to gospel friendship. Here are th three, the big three. Number one, is poorly used technology. Well-used technology can really advance friendship, but when it's poorly used, it can really work against it. So, for instance, social media can create the impression of deep friendship. You know, I have a thousand and one Facebook friends, but not one of them is a friend who would stick closer than a brother. Second obstacle is mobility. Why make friends if I'm moving in two years? Some of you may be sitting here and thinking that, oh, he's talking about friendship. Well, I'm only here for the next year. Why bother? To which I ask, are you going to breathe oxygen the next year? It's the same sort of thing we're talking about here. Third, 
busyness. Sounds good, but I just don't have time. And of the three, I think it's that last one, busyness, that is the strongest, biggest, thickest obstacle to, to gospel friendship in, in this particular area. Let me speak to you candidly. We make time for what's important to us. You know, I'll use myself as an example. Uh, the NFL, the football season started this past Thursday. I didn't watch any games. I won't watch any this weekend. I won't watch Monday football tonight. I, I, I mean, tomorrow night. I, I just, I'm just too busy. I just have too many other things to do. It's not that important. But as the season goes on, you come down to late November and December, and particularly if the New England Patriots are in the, in the play here, you know, then, then I start to watch because it moves up in my sense of priorities of what's really important, okay? And, and so I start to watch the games. And as it comes down to the playoffs, and you bet, if the, if the Patriots are in the Super Bowl, I'm there 100%. We make time for what's important to us. Archippus, Aphia, Philemon, they had their reasons for not meeting together with any regularity. They had their reasons. They're different than ours, but they had real reasons for not meeting together. But they did. Because they knew that they needed the gospel oxygen of gospel friendship. And so do we. We need it. Second word is the word hearts. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed. The hearts. These ordinary Christians meeting in Philemon's house faced a serious battle every day. They needed gospel oxygen because of that battle. It was always being fought daily. And it's a, it's a battle that's being fought by any follower of Jesus all the time. It's the battle of allegiance. It's the battle of who's going to be number one. It's the battle of hermeneutic, of interpretation. How will I make sense of the things that happened to me today? It's the battle of the deepest part of who you are. The battle of your heart of hearts. You see, when Paul says here, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed, he doesn't use his usual word for heart. He uses another word, a word that he only uses about a half a dozen times, and a few times here, actually, in Philemon. And it's the word that speaks about something even deeper than your heart. If you go back to the King James translation, they translate the word bowels, kind of like your guts. Maybe that's a good translation. Your guts. What really is deep down inside of you, you really feel... It's really, really important to you. That's what the word's talking about. And every day, these Christians faced battle after battle for their heart of hearts, for the guts of what was really going to be central to them. And we know that 
Because when Paul wrote this letter, he also wrote another letter. It's the letter to the Colossians in the New Testament. A longer, much longer letter than this. These two letters, Philemon and Colossians, were written together and they were sent together to the same town, Colossae, which is in western Turkey as we know it today. Colossians was for all the house churches in the town and Philemon was for Philemon and, and, and his house church. When we read Colossians, we get a sense of the, the bigger struggles that Philemon's house church was facing. And here's one of them. Look at this one. Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. So Philemon's house church would have read this. Paul writes, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that come from human thinking and from the evil spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Don't let anyone do that. Look what he's talking about. He's talking about intellectual pressures and social pressures and evil spiritual pressures and relationships that can all push you away. Saying, don't be tricked. That verse reminds me of a verse over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. Here's the text. Be careful then, dear brothers and sisters. Make sure that your own hearts are not evil and unbelieving, turning you away from the living God. You must warn each other every day, every day, while it is still today, so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. There's a daily pressure of the world and the evil one in our own hearts that want to push us away from Jesus, want to cut us off from Jesus, want to reshape us into their mold. There's a battle out there a battle against living by faith in Jesus. There's a battle out there against living sacrificial, loyal, pure, truthful, devoted lives for Jesus. And you and I fool ourselves if we don't admit and recognize that battle. And you and I fool ourselves if we don't realize that we need gospel oxygen. We need gospel friendships to help us get through the battle. That's the second word. Here's the third word. It's the word refreshed. So you have these Christians meeting in Philemon's home. They face daily battle. And these ordinary Christians in the middle of all that, they had breathed plenty of gospel oxygen from their friendship with Philemon. That's what Paul says. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. The word refreshed there has as its background physical, military exhaustion. It was used before and during Paul's time to talk about the need 
to revive an army. So the army, let's say, would be marching and fighting and setting up camp and then breaking down camp and marching and fighting and setting up camp and breaking down camp and on and on it went day after day after day. And at a certain point, the commander of the army would realize, oh my, the soldiers have had enough. They're on the brink of collapse. They need rest and renewal. And when the commander got to that point and gave them rest and renewal, This was the word that was used. Exhausted, in need of rest and renewal. Don't you feel that way a lot? Just exhausted. Exhausted, first of all, by just trying to live sanely in this day and age. And then especially by trying to live for Jesus in this day and age. I mean, we live in such exhausting times. There's civil discord and political discord and educational discord, culture wars, military wars, family battles, financial instability, job market shifts, social injustice, social unrest, constant flow of bad news. Here's an interesting factoid from 2018. Seven out of ten Americans have news fatigue. News fatigue is the exhaustion that you feel in your, in your heart, in your brain, because of the amount of news, the negativity of the news, the constancy of the news, and the intensity of the news. You just get exhausted by it. And if then on top of that you slice into the mix trying to live for Jesus. It's just high pressure. Worn out. Exhausted. You and I need refreshment. Life-giving refreshment. And gospel friendships bring gospel oxygen to the soul. You know... Jesus promised the very kind of rest and renewal that we're talking about here. Here's a verse from the Gospel of Matthew. Actually, this is the verse that God used to help me become a Christian in my late teens. Jesus is speaking here and he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, burdened, and I will give you rest. And that promise, I will give you rest, That's the same word as the word used here in Philemon 7. Now, Jesus gives rest first of all and foremost of all through the gospel. The gospel is a gospel of rest from your religious labors. Rest from trying to make yourself righteous before God. Rest from trying to clean yourself and, and, and absolve yourself from your guilt. Jesus brings you rest from all that because he died and rose again to bring you new life. That's the first, the central way 
that Jesus brings renewal and rest. But Jesus also gives us renewal and rest. Those of us who have received him and received that gospel, he then gives us rest and renewal through his people. And what we're reading here in Philemon 7 is the story of a man named Philemon who gave rest and renewal to the people who knew him, to the Christians who met in his house, the Christians who would become more than just acquaintances, more than just Facebook friends, had become gospel friends. And to them, Philemon gave rest and renewal through the Christ-like agape love that he demonstrated to them. And his friends breathed it in like oxygen. You and I need gospel oxygen. This need for gospel oxygen is why I am appealing to you to be part of a Christ-centered, gospel-based, small group. Some of you are already in one. That's great. Go for it. Press forward. Allow Christ to minister to you gospel oxygen through the group. Allow Christ to minister through you gospel oxygen to the group. Some of you are in something that's equivalent a group of friends that you've had from a long time before you ever came to this church, you meet with them regularly, you're, you're, you're breathing gospel oxygen through that. Great, same thing, go for it. And receive the gospel oxygen and allow God to use you to give gospel oxygen. But, if the statistics are correct, some of you are not getting that gospel oxygen. You have no real gospel friendships. And I'm not issuing a rule here that you need to join a small group. But I am issuing an invitation. I'm saying that this church wants to provide for you a setting in which you can begin to breathe this gospel oxygen. Out in the atrium... After the service, there are going to be people there from almost 20 different small groups in our church. We actually have a lot more than that. We have 35 or so small groups. there. They're all listed in a brochure that you can get at the visitor counter. But the people out there, the 20 or so, are ready to talk to you about their group, explain how it ministers to them gospel oxygen, and welcome you to be part of that particular group. What I'm encouraging you to do, if you're not already in a group like that, I'm encouraging you this morning to recognize I need this. Just like I need not oxygen for my body, I need gospel oxygen for my soul. I need a small group. And so go out there and, and stop and talk and listen to what these different leaders are saying and then join and do it. Do it so that you can breathe and breathe deeply gospel 
oxygen. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for the early church and the way that they went hard after you, your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that your spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, would have spoken to each of us about this need for gospel oxygen. Holy Spirit of God, uh, don't let anyone leave here uh, to whom you are saying, to whom you are prompting to, to join a group. Please, Father, Son and Spirit, deepen Christ in us through committing to the development of gospel friendships. I pray in Jesus' great, great name. Amen.